There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. From AccuWeather, this is everything under the sun. Real news and real stories covering topics from the worlds of science, sports, and space. It's all the information you need to weatherproof your life. And now here's the host of Everything Under the Sun, AccuWeather meteorologist Dean DeVore. Friends, where did May go as we drop this? It's the last day of May. We're turning the calendar to meteorological summer starting on Thursday, June, July, and August, the three warmest months of the year. And certainly three months when it's great to be out in the nighttime hours with comfort and abilities to look up in the sky and see some great things. We're going to talk with Brian Leda, our AccuWeather astronomy expert, about what to see in the sky, including conjunction of planets and the moon, super moons, and some meteor showers coming up this summer. We'll also get a history lesson as we go back in history, talking about the weather and history and how they impacted each other. And that goes back to the Dust Bowl. We'll talk with Evan Myers about that coming up in our second segment. Friends, sit back and relax. It's time to talk about everything under the sun from AccuWeather.com. Brian Leda is a meteorologist and journalist for us here at AccuWeather with AccuWeather.com. He curates uh, our AccuAstronomy Twitter account and also our webpage there in the AccuWeather site. And he's been our go-to for space news at uh, AccuWeather.com for the last several years. So we welcome Brian in to talk about what to look for in the skies this coming summer here on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Brian, welcome into Everything Under the Sun. Uh, you know, before we talk about these individual events, um, one thing that I've been noticing is obviously we've been talking a lot lately in the weather about um, sky situations, uh, obscuring with the uh, smoke haze that we've seen from Canadian wildfires, starting to get wildfires in the western part of the United States. We even this uh, last couple of days had wildfires in Nova Scotia, creating a hazy situation for the skies in parts of the northeast. So one thing that I've been noticing, I think the first night I really noticed it was a, a month or so ago where I, I woke up and I was driving into work and the moon seemed blood red, almost like it was the eclipse type moon. You know, when you see that coloring, but again, that was the smoke haze in the atmosphere. So as we talk about a lot of this stuff, um, you know, obviously we are looking at that aspect that, you know, while, you know, skies may be clear, there may be some obscuring of these uh, celestial events because of the fire situation and all the other pollutants that are in the atmosphere here this time of year. And this what does seem to be a, a summer where we're going to see uh, areas and times of stagnation across the nation at times. Yeah, that certainly seems to be the case. We're going to have this more frequently throughout the summer, maybe not every single night. But as you said, sometimes when you look at the moon, it might have a bit more color to it because of that wildfire smoke. And it shouldn't completely obscure the sky every night, but it may make it, depending on the timing, it could make it difficult to see some of the meteor showers we have coming up, uh, and it could make it difficult to spot some of the dimmer stars. And also, too, when we look at the summer as a whole, uh, the uptick in humidity that we get can make the sky a bit more fuzzy compared to the crystal clear sky that we get in the winter months. So you add that wildfire smoke to that uptick in humidity, and it could really impact some of the uh, viewing conditions when it comes to some of the more 
uh, particular astronomy events that we have on the calendar coming up this summer. And I know over the last couple of years as well, we've been talking about um, Starlink and all of those kinds of uh, possible uh, impediments to being able to see the sky clearly um, in your in your readings and in your musings over the situation. Has, has that a situation been something people are still talking about or is it other things that are concerning them in terms of being able to see the sky readily and available and clearly here uh, in terms of uh, nighttime viewing? So all the debate about these Starlink satellites that SpaceX is launching and even just uh, space junk that is out there that you can see in the sky, uh, for the common observer when you're seeing many of these events, or even if you're just looking out on a typical night looking at the night sky, that's not going to impede what you're seeing. The, the big issue it has is for the bigger telescopes when they need to focus on a certain area of the sky for a couple of hours to gather information and in the middle of those long-term observations you have a bunch of satellites going through the picture that is the big obstruction when it comes to these satellites uh, impeding some of these more scientific research but for the average stargazer if you're out looking at the night sky it is kind of enjoyable to see some of the satellites go through the sky and try to you know wonder what you're seeing if it is one of these new starlinks if it's just a piece of space debris uh, sometimes what you're seeing is not a satellite, but a piece of a rocket body that is continually orbiting the Earth that eventually will come back down. But uh, there's just a lot up there right now. And so not everything you see is a satellite. And it's not really going to uh, impact many of these big events we have coming up. But for the scientific community, the more things we launch, the more things orbiting the Earth, that is becoming a problem for these deep space observations. So let's talk about some of those big events, Brian. Let's start down your list. Where do you want to take us first in some of the big events that is coming uh, for this summer season here in the skies? Well, the first event is happening on the solstice, which this year is June 21st, the longest day of the year in the Northern Hemisphere. But we're not talking about the solstice itself. That night is the shortest night of the entire year, but we have an event to look for in the Western sky not long after sunset. We have Venus, Mars, and the crescent moon gathering Venus and the moon will be really easy to spot not too long after sunset. The more difficult target is going to be Mars. It's really dim in the sky. And because of these late sunsets we get around the solstice, you're really going to have to wait a while until it gets dark enough to actually see Mars. But Venus and the moon, very easy to spot in the sky. And one thing I'm recommending, even though all these objects are able to be seen without a telescope, this will be a good night to set up a telescope, not to look at the planets, but the moon itself. One of the biggest misconceptions when it comes to looking at the moon with a telescope is the full moon is the best time to do it. And really, that's not the case. I've done it myself, and I'm sure many others have. If you have a telescope and you zoom in on a full moon, it's like looking into a flashlight. It is just incredibly bright. So actually, the better opportunities to view the moon with a telescope or binoculars is when it's in its crescent phase or the quarter moon phase, where it is bright, but not overpowering bright. Also, too, in the crescent phase, it's much easier to see the features on the surface, such as the craters and everything. So it we have these warmer summer months now. It's definitely more comfortable to set up a telescope and spend extended periods of time outside at night. So uh, this night, June 21st, even though, like I said, it's the shortest night of the year, great opportunity to view some planets and set up a telescope. That sounds like a really fun time. I can remember um, on vacations with my uh, family up in uh, the mountains of central Pennsylvania, and we'd go and uh, certainly try to get out to uh, an area where the, the light pollution was the least and see stuff like that. That'll be, that'd be a great night for that. And then um, what we're coming to just a couple of weeks of after that is um, a supermoon coming on the July 3rd into July 4th. Uh, I remember, wasn't it that uh, men, didn't we have a, 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 an eclipse? 
on a July 4th? Yeah, Dean, 2020 was the year that we had a penumbral lunar eclipse on yeah, July I remember 4th. that, yeah. Uh, the penumbral lunar eclipse, not really that impressive when you see it. I was actually out that night, and even though I knew it was happening, I, I couldn't see any difference in the moon. Uh, we're not going to have that this year with the supermoon, but it'll certainly be something to look in the sky. And it, it is slightly bigger, slightly brighter than normal, but for the average observer, not much of a difference compared to other full moons. The big thing is the timing, though. You said it's peaking on July 3rd. The next night, July 4th, it's still going to appear pretty full in the sky. So two back-to-back nights right around Independence Day. So if you're outside for some of those 4th of July fireworks show, definitely can't miss the moon in the sky. And I'm sure you're going to see plenty of pictures online of fireworks with the moon in the background. So I definitely want to look for that here as we start the summer. And really, this is the start of a supermoon season. Every full moon that we have an astronomical summer is going to be a super moon. So you're going to be hearing that term a lot here in the next coming months. So the full moon in June, the full moon in July, and the full moon in August, all super moons. Two full moons in August, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, we're going to have one, I believe, the first night of August, then right at the end of the month, that's going to be a blue moon and a super moon. So you're going to hear a bunch of crazy names with that, the (laughs) super blue moon. I forget the other nicknames that go along with August full moon, but you're going to hear long-winded nicknames for the upcoming full moons. Uh, I was going to look that up real quick. The Sturgeon moon is the August moon, right? That's uh, also, I've seen green corn moon, green moon, red moon, uh, and it's a blue moon and it's a super moon. Yeah, it's going to be... Uh, having uh, multiple names here over the next several uh, next several months. Uh, so, you know, one of the things that I remember, too, as a kid being out and about with my family as we get later in the summer is we start getting into some of the good meteor showers. And so it looks like a couple of those are going to start hitting as we get into the end of July. Yeah, we actually have two meteor showers at the end of the July. Not that many meteor showers throughout the summer months. So this is definitely one that you want to look for. And it's really a unique shower. Uh, There's two peaking on the same night, July 30th into July 31st, combining for about 10 to 20 meteors per hour. So it's not going to be a spectacular show, but pretty run of the mill in terms of the number of meteors. But the two things that stand out is that one of these meteor showers is really known for fireballs. So some of the shooting stars you see could be brighter than those from other meteor showers. Uh, And the other thing is that these have plateau-like peaks. It's not just one or two nights. These will peak over the course of about a week. So really, any time from late July into the first couple nights of August, you can go outside and watch these meteor showers. So you can fire up that AccuWeather app, see which night has the best cloud forecast, and go out at your best convenience. Really a luxury we don't have with other meteor showers throughout the year where it only happens on one or two nights. If you miss it, you know, tough luck. This, you really have multiple opportunities and kind of pick the best night you want to watch this meteor shower. So that's the uh, three things that I had on my list, uh, Brian. Anything else that folks want to be thinking about this summer? And I know that we're in this situation where uh, folks are planning ahead for bigger celestial events coming next year. And that uh, give us a couple of updates on uh, anything else in the world of space and astronomy that you've been reading about and looking at for AccuWeather and AccuWeather.com. Well, I sound like a bit of a broken record player. I feel like every time I I come on your podcast, I talk about this. Uh, We have the solar eclipse coming up in 2024. Definitely buy your eclipse glasses now if you haven't already. I actually just finally booked a place in Texas to view the eclipse. And a lot of the hotels and everything in the path of totality are starting to get booked solid. So if you're on the fence about going to see the eclipse April 8th, 2024, uh, you definitely don't want to wait any longer to buy your eclipse glasses. Make those travel plans because it's really going to be difficult to find a hotel anywhere near that path of totality. 
uh, coming up here in the months leading up to the eclipse. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be here before we know it. And I, I've already seen hype and, and I've already seen people who are uh, so into this uh, same situation. And plus with the, you know, the, the prices and everything already built in so high in terms of inflation and everything, I can only imagine that folks are trying to lock in as best they can here going forward. So, Brian, as we wrap up again, if if uh, those of us, I know I've been uh, using certain apps. Um, what are some of your favorite apps to use? If someone's getting into this and, and wanting to get some good information, what are some of the things that you use to get people the information and get yourself the information so you can be smart when you go out to look in the sky? Well, I'm glad you mentioned the apps because there are plenty out there. Most of them are free to download on iPhone, Google Play Store, uh, any smartphone that you may have where you pull up the app on your phone and you can point it at the sky and it'll show you what's in that area of the sky. So if you're looking for a particular constellation or if you see something moving, you think that might be the space station. You can easily open up the apps and they'll tell you exactly what you see in the sky. Um, and there's just a wide variety out there. I mean, <laughs> I'm looking at my phone right now. I have four different apps. All <laughs> of them tell me virtually the same thing, but there's just so many options out there. And of course, if you have any questions, feel free to tweet us at the AccuAstronomy Twitter page. Uh, we're posting quite frequently about things such as upcoming space station flyovers, uh, different astronomical events. And if you have any questions, we could easily respond to you. And, you know, if you take a video or photo and you might see wondering what you're seeing in the sky, we might be able to point you in the right direction to tell you what you're seeing. So uh, be sure to follow us on social media. And, you know, you'll just uh, one thing, too, I, I want to recommend just go out to the sky and look up because uh, there's so many events that happen in the sky and just the subtleties of things. There might be satellites moving overhead that you don't know about, and you might see them like, huh, that's pretty neat up there. Or Neil deGrasse Tyson has a, a famous saying, you know, just look up sometimes because if aliens come to visit us and you're looking down at your phone, you might miss it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, just look up and take a couple of views of the night sky when you're out at night because it's just, uh, you know, it's one of the free things in life that we can learn to appreciate it more. Brian, thanks for helping keep everybody informed through AccuWeather on astronomy and everything else. And uh, Brian, we'll talk to you soon down the road. Friends, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to get a little history lesson from our friend Evan Myers. This is Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Whether you're at home getting ready for work, packing the kids' lunch, or commuting, listen to AccuWeather Daily. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and you'll get the top trending weather story of the day every day. 
Friends, we welcome you back into everything under the sun from AccuWeather.com on this podcast that drops on the last day of May. And so, as you know, we do it periodically here at Everything Under the Sun. We check in with our weather and history expert, Evan Myers, to talk about weather and history and how they've interacted. And as we come towards the end of May, we want to take you back to 1933 and one of the greatest natural disasters to ever befall the United States, the Great Plains Dust Bowl of the 1930s. And it got particularly bad towards the end of May in 1933. Evan Myers joins me to talk about it. So now let's look at probably one of the greatest natural disasters ever to befall the United States, the Great Dust Bowl. Let's uh, go to May 22nd, 1933. You know, Evan, I think um, in our modern times, it's hard for us to understand how bad this is and was back in those days. I just don't think that we have a, a good sense of just how bad this was for our country and how bad it was for uh, the folks dealing with it. And I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping we never get something like this again. Well, it's interesting because, number one, it, it, it happened at a really terrible time in the nation's history, the Great Depression. So economically, things were in terrible shape. A third of the people in the country were unemployed. A third. A third of the people. 33%. That's the way. And it might have been higher than that uh, because you don't have great measures, were unemployed. And it specifically hit farm country uh, the worst. And and the Dust Bowl, it's an interesting combination of, of different things that occurred. So that part of the of North America, from North Texas all the way up to the Dakotas, over uh, west to the Rockies and east, uh, not quite to the Mississippi River, uh, when uh, European settlers first arrived, that was known as the Great American Desert. desert. Yeah. The Great American Desert. And so the, uh, the climate at that time, and for hundreds of years leading up uh, back through the 1800s and into the very early 1900s, was extremely dry less than 15 inches of rain a year in, the, in that era. So the historical averages were for it to be that dry. It was. And that's correct. And a lot of grasses, very tall grass with deep roots, grew on the plains. Yes. And that held the soil in check when there were gusty winds and all kinds of because of the... Right. So in around 1910, for about, I don't know, about 15-year period, it became very wet. It was a wet period. And the, the rainfall increased from about 15 to 25, even 30 inches on average a year, which is much, you know, twice as much rain. Right. And so people started to plant crops. The farming techniques that were used, A, got rid of all those tall grasses. With the deep roots. With the deep roots. All right. gone where crops were planted with much shallower roots. Mm-hmm. And uh, the farming techniques, the way the thing, land was plowed and so on, the, we, we didn't pay attention to uh, how the winds blew and so on. And then things were, the climate reverted back to the way it had been for several hundred years, and everything dried up. Well, all the grasses that held the soil in check were gone. The crops couldn't grow because there was no way to irrigate, the, not the great irrigation systems we see today. And so everything dried out. So drought begets drought. The right. fact is the soil is all dried out. There's no source of any moisture to evaporate there. And the weather pattern changed so that no moist air was coming up out of the Gulf of Mexico. And so what what happened? You essentially had not a sand desert like we think mm-hmm. of, like the desert in the Sahara or even the area around Death Valley. It was it was soil. It was a soil desert, right? It was, and that's what it was like. And so whenever storms went through, they just picked up all this dust and created these black blizzards and just 
turn day to night, and it was horrific. And that's what probably caused one of the greatest migrations in U.S. history. All these states became depopulated. Many states, the Dakotas and Nebraska, down into Oklahoma, actually lost their population, their 1920 population. They didn't recover that population again until 1950 or 1960. So they had built up with all the migration, and then this time occurred, the Dust Bowl occurred, and then everybody left, and it took them 30, 40 years to go back. Yeah, I think that's the key to this, is that area gets these massive complexes of thunderstorms, and they can have a lot of straight-line winds that get out ahead of those storms. And you're right, you know, we see that in, we call them haboobs out in the Southwest, where they pick up the sand dust and those kinds of dust. Absolutely. And this was the same thing, but this was happening multiple times in the given years that the Dust Bowl, how long did this last for the, the so the dust ball lasted from about 1930 or 31 into the late 30s so during that time as we said people left a lot of folks went to california there were less people farming or trying to hold on to the land it, it was it was terrible even though there wasn't much rain that fell during these times we did get lines of thunderstorms dry thunderstorms sometimes storms that that formed in the it was so dry that the rainfall never made it to the ground but the wind did tornadoes formed and it was and it was terrible and back on May 22nd of 1933 a line of these severe thunderstorms blew through the town of Liberal Kansas and there were actually tornadoes embedded in the storm's cloud, in this this cloud, this line of thunderstorms, and people couldn't see it Could because rain. of the dust. Right. And it's not like today when we have radar and we right. would be able to have warning systems. People never saw it coming, and it was it w- it was horrendous. Powerful tornado in the total darkness moved into the town, six hundred yards wide at times, devastated the business district of Liberal. Uh, 44 buildings, 165 homes obliterated. Yeah, we talk about that in the modern age. We worry about, especially at night, rain-wrapped tornadoes where people can't see. But this was during the day, and it was just so black from the, from the dust that you couldn't see, and they didn't have what we had and, uh, in terms of the warnings. Not at all. And it's interesting. Some of these dust storms blew this dust as far east as New York City wow. and Boston. Wow. That's incredible. Friends, that'll do it for this week's episode of Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. We will turn the calendar fully into June, and we've got some great discussions coming up. We're seeing these episodes of air stagnation build, and they seem to be getting longer with uh, more bouts of um, air quality index uh, issues and also uh, air pollution in terms of smoke from wildfires and ground ozone and ground particulate matter. It's all mounting up, and we may see a few more of these situations as we go through the summer. We'll talk about that, and we'll also talk about the weather and pricing in terms of food and things that we grow. How much is that going to be affected here as we go through the summer as we see a long, hot summer in a lot of places and maybe too much rain in others to have a great growing season? Those are topics we'll discuss going forward. For our hundreds of team members across the world that work hard every day to weatherproof your life, my executive producers Ken Prell and Andrew Robb, and for myself Dean DeVore, thanks for listening. Thanks to our guests Brian Leda and Evan Myers and everybody else behind the scenes here at AccuWeather.com. We'll talk to you next week. This is Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review Everything Under the Sun on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And of course, if you have an idea for a future podcast, just email us at AccuWeather.podcast at AccuWeather.com.